This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. Welcome to Real Talk on this Thursday. John, I'll just check the calendar and let you... Hey, it's February 23rd. It's a chilly one out there in our neck <laughs> you, of the woods. But yet yeah, you're in such a good mood. I am pretty and I wonder jacked if it's, up I've, today. I've, I've just been keeping an eye on my social media feeds, and mm-hmm. I wonder if it might have something to do that that you have been you have been the deliverer, you have been the the bearer of bounty, you have you have been participating in and <laughs> celebrating your wife's birthday week. Okay, and, and I knew you were going to bring this up because <laughs> you're one of those people who's like, you have a birthday, and it's one day. Yeah. You're no, one no, of, you're I'm one not of one of those. No, no, no I'm like a okay. birthday month person. Because I am. I can stretch. <laughs> I can stretch out celebrations, especially if they're celebrating me. Yeah. I'm happy to spread, stretch them out over the course of a month. But mm-hmm. you like to see it as a 24-hour cycle. I do, but this is the thing. So you know, we moved from Kelowna here pretty rapidly to come back and, yeah. and work together. And yeah. uh, when that happened. My starting date, which is coming up, the anniversary one it is year, February 28th. And that's my wife's birthday. So <laughs> last year I had a grueling, not grueling, but, you know, first day we, we were getting to know each other. Getting, yep. You know, I was at work all day learning the ins and outs of this show. So you got to make it up to her. Yeah. And when I came home that night late, she said, you know what? It's late, whatever. I brought her a cake. I brought her a present card, obviously. But it wasn't a it wasn't a joyous occasion, so to speak. So this year I'm like, you know what? Let's do this thing that I see everyone do and we'll give you a whole week. So well, yesterday well got her the donuts, got her the dinner. Yeah. Uh, and then you rolled in this morning with a jump in your step and optimism I'm, I'm ready abounding. To go. I'm maybe ready to go. in maybe in part because of our Wheelie Peeps interview yesterday. I don't Amazing. know. I was people we, I was out and about yesterday afternoon and people are coming up to me being like those two were forces of nature. That was an absolutely an incredible unbelievable uh, conversation with the stars of a show called Push. Uh, that launches on CBC tomorrow. You have to check it out. But just two huge personalities with us in studio talking about life on wheels, talking about life in a chair. But but uh, I mean, I'm really like real talk. You know, they say like when you have a spinal cord injury, you're, you know, you're, you're going to poo yourself and pee yourself from time to time. You got to get used to that. They talked about sexuality, like people in chairs yeah. still want to have sex. Yeah. They, they talked about what it's like to, to roll into a, a, a parking lot and, and see people parked in disabled parking when they Ooh. don't need it and and. Brian, Brian McPherson, one of our guests, talking about hooking up his uh, tow ropes or his chains to his Dodge Ram Dooley and physically moving vehicles out of uh, disabled parking. So just a hilarious conversation, but very enlightening as well. And I'm glad to know it resonated with Real Talkers. We're going to get to a couple of emails today later in the show. One of them is going to take a while to read, but that's because it took this Real Talker, Kathy, a while to write it. And it's powerful stuff. And uh, and so we're going to we're going to make that part of today's broadcast. But we kick off today with a conversation about 15-minute cities. And now you're, you're probably hearing more uh. about this concept now than you have in past. John imposing his own feeling on this. The, uh, but the idea of a 15-minute city, this is the idea where, where everyone's essential needs can be met within walking distance. Uh, cities like Vancouver in Canada and Edmonton are talking about it. Paris is an example halfway around the world that has been implementing this. It's a theory that was first, I mean, at least the title of it, uh, coined by a, a gentleman by the name of Carlos Morena, who had the idea that people should be able to have everything they need within a 15-minute journey 
And that doesn't include 15 minutes in the car. They say that we should be designing our communities more for humans than we do for vehicles. Now, it would all appear to make perfect sense, except for it's really drawn the attention of conspiracy theorists who have started to loudly protest the ideas that that human beings will be confined to districts, that there could be electric fences erected, that perhaps your digital currencies or methods of payment would not work. In other words, you'd be unable to participate in commerce if you were to stray outside your district. Uh, Does that make sense? Well, of course not. It doesn't make sense at all. But that didn't stop a group of protesters from from turning up in our home city of Edmonton over the weekend. And this whole thing was organized or at least supported by one of Canada's more notorious conspiracy theorists, rabble rousers, shit disturbers, a guy by the name of Chris Skye, who got into it with Edmonton planner Sean Boley, who deserves credit, I think, for for showing up to, to, to answer some of the objections, to counter some of the conspiracies. We'll give you a bit of an idea, this courtesy of TikTok, of, of, of how those interactions went down. This is just a few days ago. What's, What's the, the point, point of a What's district? The What's the point? I'll answer that question. Do you actually want an answer to that question? Sure. Okay, we have neighborhoods right now. The city right now is divided into about 400 neighborhoods. Has anyone, it's been that true for, I, I don't know, as long as Edmonton has existed. Has anyone tried to confine you to your neighborhood? Never, no. But they never called it a district they never section called it a district section. That is true. So, so did during lockdowns, neighborhoods exist, and all during COVID, I Wait. came and went. Okay, I'm going to answer your question. I'm going to answer your question. You said we were never You wanted me to answer your question. Short stop, short stop, short stop. Short stop. You said we were never confined to our neighborhood. But they certainly tried under COVID. And let's just pretend for a second we go along with the 15-minute city plan, and now we have these wonderful districts. How much easier would it be for them to literally lock us down into a little tiny 1.5 square kilometers? There's going to be a stipulation in this policy that says, look, we will never have barricades here. Uh, no, we didn't consider that because we didn't consider that, that because that's the exact plan that we have considered. Because you got the mic. There, in fact, there's infinite things that the plans will not do. We're not going to neuter your chinchilla, for example. We're not that's, going to that's, come in. That's not something that's going to come in our mind. No, no, hold that's, on, hold on. But listen, listen. What I'm saying is, there are many things that you can imagine that could happen. No, that's not something that we can imagine. That's something that they're doing already. It's happening right now we're not imagining it so stop lying yeah. it's happening right now in oxford england so they're doing it there i understand that you're they... very concerned Excuse i'm me. trying to answer his question but you have not. to wait you're your lying. turn you have to wait your turn sorry i know what's in the plans because i'm writing the plans i work with the team that's creating the plans there isn't material in there isn't material i work for the city of edmonton and i <laughs> well i was having a good day right <laughs> I wonder, if, I wonder if we just transposed Jesus. a migraine onto our two guests. If that is the case, I apologize. Justin Archer is a partner at Berlin Communications, uh, a PR agency, ad agency based out of Edmonton. He's at various times worked for municipalities, for developers, uh, for nonprofits, community groups. Uh, he, he's not a city planner. He's not a politician. He's just an interested observer of the conversation around 15-minute districts. And, and he wrote a, a great piece uh, that was published by the Edmonton Journal just a couple of days ago, What the Outrage Brigade gets wrong about Edmonton's 15-minute districts. Andrew Knack joining us as well, uh, one of Edmonton's 
more popular city councilors uh, and, and a fierce advocate for 15-minute cities. And, and I have a goal today. I'm going to try to get Councilor Knack to swear. I don't know if it's going to happen. But to the both, <laughs> to the, to the both of you, welcome to the show. Councilor, watching that video, you, you've, you've got a reputable, one of Edmonton's reputable planners there trying to, I think, confront some of these conspiracies toe-to-toe. Obviously doesn't appear to be landing with this crew. What do you make of, of this dust up around this planning idea? You know, I, I was surprised when it first started coming up, you know, pretty much at the beginning of this month. It's only I've really only been starting to hear about it in the last four weeks. And it's odd because urban planning uh, land use bylaws are typically not the things that get uh, people excited about municipal politics. I, I love it. Uh, but I also realize I'm typically an outlier in this scenario. And so to see the the notion of, of what essentially is, you know, what we would call walkable communities or thinking about what cities used to look like in the 1940s and 50s and 60s, where you had a neighborhood convenience store, or grocery store and pharmacy, um, to see that morph into what what we're now talking about, this notion about uh, government going to be locking people down. It's it's hard because I think in principle, everyone loves the idea of having things closer to their home to at least have the choice to access it. And yet now it's become something really nefarious in some people's minds. Yeah, I mean, it, but but it's getting to the point where it just doesn't even make sense. I mean, I and I understand that most conspiracies don't really make sense and i don't want to write off everything and i don't want to suggest that some people don't have valid concerns about some things but i mean this is getting to the point of ridiculousness districts limitations on travel electric fences limitations on 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 electronic commerce i mean come on yes but the challenge is there is a small group of people you know a couple of percents across the world who who truly believe that everything government does now is something that can't be trusted something that has to be feared and and so to yeah the vast majority of us who know that's not the reality for this group it is and and it might be small but they can be loud and how you react to it and this is something i'm grappling with now like my first reaction at times is you know sort of almost wanting to laugh or mock it but then i'm realizing all i'm doing is i'm pushing those away who have legitimate well not legitimate fears who have fears and want to actually talk about it you know that you mentioned chris scott like there's a couple people who who are just basking in the in, in building up fear and anger but there are people who follow those groups who found community in those groups during the pandemic that that have a fear that maybe shouldn't be dismissed so quickly and so this is something i'm grappling with of how to balance what is clearly not true with how you want to respond with humanity and and that's i don't know how to do it right yet and i'm still working on it justin you i mean it's your business uh to 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 help agencies and organizations and individuals understand how to best communicate about something and i'm inclined in a circumstance like this to roll my eyes and go come on like electric fences districts where people's travel is limited i mean it just does it's like a perennial or perpetual state of lockdown it's so ridiculous you might suggest that it doesn't even deserve a response but in this case you obviously believe it did you sat down you wrote an opinion piece for the journal uh, what what prompted you to to take this at least that seriously mm-hmm. 
Well, Andrew Knack is thoughtful as always, Andrew. I, I really appreciate your comments. I'm serious. You know, you're not dismissive of people, and and that's how you are on many issues. I so I did write a thing in the journal. I don't know if you can share the link to it, Jespo, on on the thing here, but but. Um, Basically, I sat there. I, so I found out about this protest before it was going to take place. And I saw the flyer for it. And uh, the flyer for it, basically, it, it, there's just a lot of stuff that's, um, that's not true. And it says, Edmonton wants to start something called 15-minute cities where you can't go to any area that is more than 15 minutes from you, limiting your movement between districts, as they call it. You will spend 90% of your life in this 15-minute area. And it kind of goes on like that. And I, I just thought... The city should respond because gener- like generally you, you talk about in PR, in PR you generally try not to respond to something that you don't want to talk about because it makes the story go for another day. You know, there's the original thing, then your response, and you just turn the one-day story into a two- or three-day story. So that's kind of the communications theory. But I thought, no, this is too wrong. People are getting misinformation out of this group, and this is kind of harmful. So I sat down at my desk, and I was actually planning on sending in a statement to the city unsolicited to the communications group and saying, Hey, you guys should say this. Uh, but then the more I started writing it, the more I started um, agreeing with myself, I guess that I thought I'm going to send this into the journal and see if they'll run it. I didn't think they would run it, um, uh, but they did. And so I've, um, you know, I guess I've been talking about this issue a little bit uh, over the last little while because of that. Yeah. Well, I want to get into the meat of your piece in just a second and, and we'll get the council to respond. It's great to have two perspectives here, the messaging and of course the politics behind it as well. Um, I, I'm happy to see a, a, a mutual friend of ours, a fellow by the name of Adam Rosenhart from Adverb, who knows a thing or two about communicating as well. He says in our live chat, I actually don't think that the planner from the city should have engaged this group. Was it a, maybe a yeah. mistake, Justin? I mean, I, I can see why Adam would say that. Yeah, like for the point that I kind of just made, like the more that you kind of go and talk about it, I mean, now that TikTok video is out there, right? And now we're talking about it, right? Like even yesterday you texted me and said, do I want to come on? And I'm like, oh, Jasper, really? Like, are, are we still doing this thing? <laughs> and you're kind of going, yeah, this is an Well, issue, I said it's man. a talk and, show, man. But-, <laughs> but, but that TikTok is a perfect example that TikTok created another piece of content in the conversation mm-hmm. and you know the and, and i get what the guy was trying to do and i think it was very actually brave of him to go down there and he, and he was trying to do do his job but because of that we've now given this thing quite a bit of air and mm-hmm. i guess that's that's the part about this that's uh, kind of concerning for me is you know andrew you were saying there's a couple small percent of people in the world that um are really concerned about everything that the government does and I think here, there's only a very small percentage of people in Edmonton that that are worried about this, but it's getting all kinds of airtime in the media and on shows and, and people like us coming on and banging on about it. So so Adam's point, he shouldn't have gone down there. Uh, I, I, I honestly, I probably agree. Well, well, perhaps this is enlightening. I always like our audience to have as much background information as, as possible. I will let you know that the, the city of Edmonton comms team actually denied our request to have that planner on the show with us today. So so maybe they feel the same way. I don't know. Councillor Knack, that's not your department, and I won't ask you to comment on that. How do you determine? I mean, I, like, you know, you and I are in different lines of work, but we're both public facing. We'll get complaints about our coverage. We'll get people taking issues about some of the things that I say. Some of them I want to hit head on. I I mean, I've got an email here that we're going to read in Trash Talk tomorrow. A guy just goes up one side of me and down the other, and I think he's actually right. So that's coming up tomorrow. We're going to read that email. I'm not afraid of that criticism because 
he actually makes a really good point. Politicians, same sort of a thing. I mean, how many calls and emails does your office get every single day? Which ones do you choose to address? And, and which ones do you just go, give me a break? I actually try to address all of them. Uh, and, and that's been my approach since the very beginning. And and I know yeah, I see some smiling faces there, but... Because you're Andrew Knack, though, that's why. <laughs> but, I, but I look at this as... You know, if somebody has has gotten to a point where they felt that they need to reach out, even from a place of anger, or in the case of some of these folks who have reached out on the 15-minute city place, a place of fear, to dismiss them, to not acknowledge them, or to treat them, you know, poorly, I think reinforces their worldview right now. And we are in a place where I think we actually have to try to have that humanity where we have to try to find out and better understand why somebody truly fears something to see if you can unpack that and then see if you can ultimately get to a point of, of progress. And, and truly in the last couple of weeks, I've had a lot of hour long calls with people who have called, who were clearly fearful. And at the end, you know, did we come to a place where we're completely, you know, they, they don't believe that there's any chance of anything happening, anything bad happening? No, but I think there's a better understanding of how things work now with some of these individuals who have only ever been exposed to that type of protest where all they're getting fed is anger and fear and a different type of message. And if you never try to combat that with a different type of message, then you're never going to make break through to them. I, I think back to when, you know, Donald Trump was starting to run for president and how we were all so dismissive. My, well, I was very dismissive and I, I would you know, clearly criticize people like I'm going to support this guy. I didn't even take the, a moment to try to understand why somebody could have wanted to support him. So I never attempted to find common ground, something I complain about when I'm asked by grade six classes, what's the least favorite part of your job? People who don't want to actually engage in real conversation. And so I've been doing that and trying to approach this in a different way. Again, there was always going to be a couple of folks, the, the organizers of the protest, the, you know, the Brett Wilsons of the world who are tweeting about this and who I've responded to and who haven't responded back because that's not what they're interested in. But for those who are following that, those groups and have taken the time to reach out, I think we actually owe it to them to try to connect with them. There's a great piece uh, in this morning's Globe and Mail. Uh, subscribers can check it out by Jen Gerson. Uh, the headline, the 15 minute city controversy is based on bunk. The fear behind it is worth considering. Uh, and it's great. She says that the, the latest spasm of post-pandemic paranoia has emerged from a benign city planning phase or a phrase rather coined by an urbanist uh, back in 2016. The idea to encourage healthier communities and reduce congestion and reduce reliance on carbon emitting cars by zoning neighborhoods to ensure that everyone has access to necessary amenities within a 15 minute walk or bike ride. She says it sounds lovely, but and we heard Chris Sky reference, uh, it kind of pains me to keep mentioning his name, but it's context that he, he referenced what's happening in Oxford, England. What's happening there is that urban planners have sectioned the city into so-called low traffic neighborhoods that do restrict drivers from traveling outside home districts. Uh, there are other cities around the world where there are tolls, essentially, if, 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 you're, if you're commuting or traveling into various zones or districts, you will pay different tolls. I mean, some of these things are strategic planning initiatives. Some of them are revenue gleaning initiatives. We can get into that, counselor, if you like. She says, but but lockdowns, mandates, school shutdowns, other pandemic restrictions have broken some folks, utterly destroying trust in institutions and authority. She goes on to say, five years ago, I would have said that some of the things, some of these conspiracies we're hearing about were crazy. 
But after watching bylaw officers wrap playgrounds in police tape, after watching restaurants demand digital health records, the Quebec government institute two province-wide curfews to prevent people from leaving their homes, a lot of these conspiracies seem just a touch more plausible now. This national columnist says, my trust in governments to make sound decisions, maintain perspective, and prioritize individual rights isn't what it once was, and I fear there's no obvious way to restore faith in the idea that the media isn't trying to mislead anyone. She signs off, maybe I'm a little broken too. What do you think, Archer? I don't disagree with any of that, uh, Jespo, and I think um, I think I think Jen's very thoughtful in her comments uh, that she's making. I, I also think with this 15-minute issue, there's just enough there that allows people that are that have already sort of organized themselves around fear and conspiracy about government. It allows them to grab onto, and and so a couple of the aspects are one you mentioned uh, that town in England that actually is restricting where you can go. So, I mean, that's a, that's a, a piece of data. And also, uh, the world, what is WEF? The World Economic Fund, yeah, I think? Yeah, uh, Forum, so, yeah. You know, World Economic Forum. Yeah, that, that's a group that, um, you know, people that were opposed to COVID restrictions really villainize and demonize and, and are kind of worried about. And they've got a position paper out saying, oh yeah, 15-minute districts is a good idea. 15-minute cities is a good idea. So there's, there's a couple of little kind of nuggets that if you kind of start to stitch together, you can see well, maybe this would be the next issue, right? Like if you if you if people have come together around fear of government, this kind of meets the threshold of the next issue that we're going to get concerned about. And so I I do see why people are worried. Um, I'm I'm concerned though that the leaders of this movement kind of know what they're doing, and and the followers maybe don't have as much information, and and that's where kind of misinformation and, and people believing things that simply aren't true is in danger of emerging. And, and I think that's what we're seeing here. Counselor, I've, I've done a bunch of reading about this. I mean, it, it really is fascinating, uh, the concept and the city building and, and, you know, the idea is that obviously cities need to have these master plans, essentially in layperson's terms, these, these, these growth strategies, right? Like, how do you build your city? You can't make these willy-nilly decisions on, on an ad hoc basis. You want to have a long-range plan, and obviously cities are required to have those, but there, there are critics, reputable critics, of the 15-minute city idea uh, that argue that, that, that it does not, that, that, it, that it imposes values in inequitable fashion, and that some people are disproportionately impacted by the plans, uh, you know, including uh, children, older older adults, racialized populations, and those with lower employment and education rates. There's a great study out of Simon Fraser University, if people want to Google it. How much is that on your radar, and, 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 and how much flexibility is there with regards to a specific community, let's say in this case, Edmonton, adopting a concept like this? Well, I think that's where, you know, and this is why it's challenging, because you're dealing with some of this fear first, but when you actually dig into this, when you think about that notion of, of freedom and control, what Edmonton's doing is actually at the forefront of that. So what we're looking at when we developed our city plan, which does reference this concept of 15 minute cities, uh, is actually looking to remove restrictions from our land use bylaws. Because if you look at land use bylaws, particularly across North America, most of them are incredibly restrictive. They, they do not allow for mixed use development. They don't allow for what we used to have in the 1950s, where you had a neighborhood pharmacy and a neighborhood grocery store and all of those amenities. So in fact, our zoning bylaws 
have segregated our communities over the decades. And we're actually going out of our way to remove those restrictions, provide greater choice. But it's hard to get to that point of the conversation when you're starting from a place in a different position. But if you actually look at what Edmonton's doing, um, I, I think the reason why Edmonton in, across Canada is leading the, the entire country in housing affordability is because we provide far greater housing choice in our zoning bylaw today than we did even two decades ago. And when you look at Toronto and Vancouver and Calgary and Montreal, many of their zones, their zoning, zoning bylaws are far more restrictive. So we're actually trying to do the opposite. And that's, and that's one of the challenges here. Why shouldn't you have the choice to be able to access something closer to your home and to that notion around of accessibility and to children and seniors. Again, this concept is actually right up that alley because right now there are communities you can live in in the city where you have to drive to your nearest grocery store, where you have to drive to go get to your nearest medical service. Uh, why is that? So we are actually forcing people to live a certain way because of our zoning bylaw and how it's been designed over the decades. We're trying to change that and give people the option. And again, just the option to access something closer to their home. So that's actually better for people who have mobility concerns, better for people uh, who want to have a, a choice to live a different way. Uh, because right now in a lot of Edmonton, they don't have a choice to live uh, without a car. Uh, Justin, I think that, you know, it, it is we, we never want to get into the weeds on uh, on a podcast or show because people just lose interest, including the host. Uh, but there are a couple important <laughs> there are a couple important clarifications that need to be made. And one of them you write about. And I encourage people uh, they can check out the show notes on the podcast or on YouTube. We'll, we'll link directly to your your op ed for the journal. People can read it in its entirety there. But but it, but it all comes down to doesn't it like assignment of power or jurisdictions really like who's responsible for or capable of what? And we've promised people today we're going to get into the truth about 15 minute cities so what's one truth bomb that you want to drop before by the way we'll let people know before we let you get back to your day in beautiful jasper alberta we appreciate your time um the the city plan that andrew's talking about is a municipal development plan which is a statutorily required document that the municipal government act which is provincial legislation requires of all municipalities like it's a this is not something that the city of Edmonton has kind of cooked up to keep you locked in your pen. This is a very run-of-the-mill um, bylaw that all municipalities create, and there's this is much ado about nothing. There's my truth bomb, Jesper. All right, buddy, I appreciate it. Uh, so, Councillor Knack, before we thank you both for your time, I want to ask you about this. So, so here's that tweet you were talking about from Brett Wilson. Everybody knows who he is. Obviously, former dragon, uh, the guy that believes that the prime minister should be hung for treason. He said so on the record, you know, part owner of the Nashville Predators, if you can believe it. Says, here comes the city of Edmonton thinking that restricting access to 15 minute zones is going to help our planet. He says, fuck no. What would help Edmonton? Punt the mayor and any councillors in favor of this lockdown stupidity. And then he tags Calgary's mayor in it. He's got a, a, an ongoing beef with her. You reply to him, hi, Brett. Thanks for taking an interest in our city planning. I don't know how you do it, Councillor. You say, I'm not sure if you've had the chance to review what we've worked on over the years, but there's never been any suggestion by anyone to restrict access to another part of the city. Now, of course, people start to pile on the Wilson loyalists, and I can only imagine what the voicemails at the NAC office at City Hall sound like. I can only imagine the dumpster fire that is your email inbox from day to day. How bad does it get 
for your staffers? Like, I know that you, you're going to answer with a smile on your face. You're going to be gracious. You're going to be kind. But but can you just give us like the real goods on exactly how bad some of this gets? Well, and, and, and you have to remember, though, I'm in a particular unique situation as a as a middle aged looking white guy. The type of abuse and toxicity I get in terms of phone calls and emails and social media posts are very different than what my colleagues get or what the team that I work with in the office gets when they're talking to somebody on the phone. They'll talk to somebody on the phone who's yelling and screaming. Uh, and I tell them, you know, if that happens, just hang up the phone. They, they don't deserve that abuse. And then when I call back, oh, it's good to talk to you. Thanks for calling. Let's chat about this. Even if they have concerns that it's like a, 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 a switch flips. And so um, the, the type of toxicity that other people are getting is quite severe and quite concerning. But again, this is actually part of why I feel like I need to speak up a bit. I, I have a unique privilege that maybe allows me to connect with people differently than somebody who is racialized or or somebody who is a woman and gets different attitudes. So it's actually not terrible at, you know, the, the Warren Dakota Iska office, but there are other locations and other politicians who get it way, way worse all the time, including about this issue. Hmm. Uh yeah, man, we've got a, a ton of fascinating comments here in the uh, in the live chat. I really appreciate uh, people's engagement on this. It, it is an issue that I think people care about, but but for the most part, just because it's interesting, it's interesting to understand how communities are designed, what the what the so called communities of the future are going to look like, and and this is certainly one. I think once you have obviously you know cities like Paris and Vancouver and and you know all, all the sort of so called global cities participating in this, it gives it some credence it's not just a theory and to understand that a city like edmonton is integrating some of these concepts into its master plan obviously people are going to have questions about it we appreciate the two of you uh, your willingness to, to to shine some light on the story to give us your informed perspectives especially you archer you got that mountain air outside just, there's probably an elk outside your window right now just 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 waiting for you to interact enjoy your time in jasper thanks for making time for us both counselor i know that you shuffled your schedule around to accommodate this and we appreciate that too my pleasure. Thank you. You got it. Thanks, Jespo. Yeah, that's Justin Archer from Berlin Communications and, uh, of course, Edmonton Councillor Andrew Knack. <sighs> hey, that was that was that was reason. that was really good. That, that was, you know, uh, that was uh, reputable, reasonable, informed discourse. And nobody was yelling over top of them. Uh, we're sorry to disappoint those part. who were showing up for something different. It's so funny. There like, I'm it. listening to this as this all started about 15-minute cities, and I'm like, man, people are going to love this. Mm. I grew up in a 15-minute city. It was mm. called Bowmanville, Ontario. <laughs> and I walked to school because the school was five minutes away. My doctor, my practitioner, was three minutes away. There was a strip mall six minutes away that had Grocery shopping, a shopper's drug mart, a little Zeller's kind of Kmart store where you could buy clothes. 15-minute cities, it's like growing up in a small town. I live in one now. It's called Chappelle in Edmonton. Mm. I can literally walk three blocks. There's a dentist. There's a doctor. There's a gas station. There's two uh, uh, grocery stores. I, I don't understand what this is all about. But I like what Andrew Knack says, like, let people talk, let them get their opinions out and let them voice their concerns and address them and don't shut them down. Because I feel like, I feel like what you were saying, like people's perspectives have changed during COVID and they're scared of everything now. So address those fears. Tell them, tell them what's wrong mm. and don't tell them they're wrong. 
Just tell them what's wrong about what they're saying, right? No, that's an interesting difference. You know, not that you're wrong. But I try to do that nowadays yeah. since COVID because I have a lot of friends. I think we all do. And I don't want to say their names, but they're posting oh, no, about this too. Yeah, and, and I don't want to text them or, or talk to them in public and say, you're wrong. Yeah. But I want to talk about what we're, the issues we're talking about and say, here's what's wrong with what you're saying. I can see why you're scared, though. Yeah. I can see why, you know, you were out of work for all those months. And, and you can see how this could get elevated to a point where there is some some questionable stuff going on in the UK with with some of this stuff. Well, so let's and, and there's it. an interesting comment on that about about, about you've, you've got to consider all the factors at play. Like, you know, there are real car problems or congestion problems in some communities that require some drastic actions. But somebody else made a good point. I mean, in, in Vancouver, as an example, that's one city of many. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to use certain bridges. You know, it's like a, a photo radar type setup. But, mm-hmm. but it just dings your license plate. And every time, I think the Portman's an example, but every time you head across that bridge, you, it's a toll. Mm-hmm. And whatever it is, two bucks or whatever it is. But but like that's kind of how things work. Like toll bridges go back to the end of time. Remember movies in the 1980s, like everybody mm-hmm. going through. Uh, what about Adam Sandler and Toll Booth Willie? One of the great skits about that's a dollar 25. I mean, have you but not I, been you know, to Banff? Like if, if people you never, drive in, there's you know, a toll. Like uh, just... So Artie Miss says, you know, there's an older gentleman who called into a, a, a news talk show or a news show on YouTube and was terrified that he would be locked into his neighborhood uh says this is the fear that these conspiracy theorists are sowing uh tracy says you know we can do a lot more by trying to understand why people think or do what they do we say seek to understand all the time it's not ours it's what covey says right in steps of highly effective people Uh, tracy says i use motivational interviewing in addition to active listening I love comments like that. It gives me a lot to Google. <laughs> How about this? You know, people are you know, you're saying, uh, you know, for example, uh, you know, that Justin makes that exact example. You know, don't people know that you get a bill traveling across bridges in Vancouver? Like, I guess these folks wouldn't like that, right? Plain Power says UK is so different than Canada. They have a huge problem with vehicular traffic. You know, they need to take drastic actions. You know, MA says we got to do things better. Um, you know, others say, you know, w- w- with regards to these conspiracy theories, you know, w- w- let's just change the narrative by promoting neighborhoods. Johnny, that's what you kind of said. Maybe it's just about rethinking the neighborhood. The other thing is like, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm still getting over a cold, but I feel like 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 as you're discussing this, as you're fighting for the people protesting this Chris guy and whoever, you're also like stepping on the poor. And the middle class, because these are the people that these little 15 minute cities are going to benefit. Me and my wife share a car. Mm. It's great that we have five minutes away that she can walk a few blocks and do everything she needs to do during the day while I'm at work. I just don't I just don't get it. I don't get why people wouldn't be totally excited about this, especially in a place like Alberta, where this week everything's freezing cold. Wouldn't you like to have everything right at your doorstep? Erica says it's not just Oxford, England, right? Many European cities have been trying to do stuff like this for years. Reduce congestion by implementing toll roads or fines or other methods of encouraging secondary road use. You know, others are saying it's just good city planning. You can let us know what you think to talk at RyanJesperson.com, regardless of where you land on this. You don't have to fit into a box uh, to send us an email. We're happy to consider perspectives uh, across the board. You think no. that our coverage on this has been unfair absolutely happy? not no we're happy, ha- I'm happy to we're happy to no, i mean you know i mean i want it but i'm i'm always curious to know you know i mean what's an example like last week brett kissel on the show i want to know what goes into him writing that song i want to know where his head is at. Why i want to know feel the I, way i want to know how he feels about 
I mean, how, how well did that age, right? Jamie mm-hmm. Soleil's support of his song, is, and then she goes on three days later to you know s- support the the idea of the public execution of the prime minister. I mean, that's a that's a liability for him. Don't you want to understand how somebody feels about that? Mm-hmm. It's not platforming. It's not both sidesing a sub. You know, people no. have all these sort of dismissive phrases that they use um, to sort of diminish the value of trying to understand where other people are coming from. Mm-hmm. We're going to get to some of the stories making news, including a, a video that's going viral. Out of our home city just yesterday, a dust up in a parking lot. Unbelievable. You're, you're, if you haven't seen it yet, you got to stick around for that. Uh, plus tragedy uh, in central Florida yesterday, a journalist and a nine-year-old girl shot. Uh, the reporter killed, as a matter of fact, on the scene of a shooting investigation. Uh, it's hard to wrap your mind around it. These conversations happen because of sponsors like Apex Automation that truly value people. Uh, look no further for evidence than their website at apexautomation.ca. They're hiring. If you're a professional engineer, a technologist, or somebody looking for an entry into the world of automation, you can check out apexautomation.ca. Learn more about what they're doing in, in many different industries across the country, including a ton in energy industries in Alberta and Saskatchewan. But that's not just it. Agriculture, mining, autonomous vehicles and machinery, robotics. I mean, this is the future and the future is now at Apex Automation. They're looking for the best and brightest talent in the country. If you're looking for a change of pace or a place that will truly value your contributions as a team member, check out Apex Automation. At Friesen Brothers, they're happy to support Heart Month through the month of February, of course, all part of an approach to healthy living. You can learn more about what that commitment looks like on their website at Friesen.com. And I also was going to tell you about the future of Alberta food, the Artisan Cuisine Challenge that we've been promoting that's coming up at Nate this weekend, celebrating the up-and-comers in the culinary arts. But, uh, well, I'm, I'm happy and sorry to tell you that it's all sold out. It's going to be an awesome celebration of butchering and baking and cooking and hospitality. That's what Friesen Brothers has been about for more than 65 years. Still family-owned, Alberta-owned, and Alberta-grown. This studio that we broadcast out of was built uh, walls out. I mean, this thing, absolutely a masterpiece by Complete Care Restoration. Now, typically what they do is is, uh, mitigating some of the damage, repairing some of the devastation following fire and flood. Maybe you've discovered mold or asbestos in your walls. You need to open them up to do some renovations and all of a sudden that nasty surprise. Uh, Complete Care Restoration is who we trusted with our baby and our experience dealing with them and their team. I mean, unbelievable. Gives us the confidence to tell you that in the nightmare scenario of fire, flood, or otherwise, we recommend that you call Complete Care Restoration. You know what I love to tell little stories? It's the little things, Johnny. Mm -hmm. You remember they came here to hang a TV for us? Yeah. And the guy's going to punch the drill bits into the wall, and they've got a second guy there with the shop vac. Vacuuming it. He's got the shop vac under the (laughs) drill bit, making sure that not a speck of dust, not a speck of drywall dust hit our floor. That's like one example of a million of 
of how these guys operate. Every day when they left here, you'd never know it was a construction site. Their cleanliness, their attentiveness, completecarerestoration.ca is where you'll find them. And hey, speaking of attention to detail, you can say the exact same thing about Eden Landscaping, a custom landscape builder with more than 20 years of on-the-ground experience in Edmonton and area. You can check out their services online at landscapeedmonton.ca. Whatever your vision, they will execute it with precise attention to detail. You know, there's a lot of neat trends happening right now in landscape design, edible garden boxes, excavation. I mean, a lot of people are looking to a more natural approach. They call it their urban butterfly approach. This is integrating native grasses and drawing in the pollinators. All the stuff that's great for Mother Nature also looks great in landscape design integration. Now's the perfect time of year to get the ball rolling on those conversations. So once the ground thaws, their team can get to work on bringing your outdoor space to life. That's Eden Landscaping at landscapeedmonton.ca. Justin and Cactus Sheriff saying I have a, a lot of understanding for my friends that they wouldn't have for Is these that right? bonkers ideas. Well, <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't know. Like it, it's, I, I, I yesterday. I'll be honest with you. Yesterday, I, I unfriended a guy on Facebook. What? I know that I know this makes us sound like junior high kids, but I just, I guess, I just, I, I have, I've sort of had a, uh, I, I've tried to keep my. Do, do you say tolerance? I've tried to keep my willingness to engage uh, to a level that I can manage. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I sincerely care about people. I, I most particularly people I actually know in real life, mm-hmm. and uh, and I think that we've seen so much damage done to relationships over the past few years. I've experienced it personally. I'm sure that most people have. You probably have at least one example of a friendship that was impacted in some way, in some context. Oh, many due to COVID. But this one fellow in particular who I've known since elementary school just has not laid off the gas on his theory that there's a a lot of sudden deaths occurring, uh, in particular in young people uh, that have been vaccinated. And I find that it is treading on the graves of young people there it's it's disgraceful and i just have finally had enough and and it just kept showing up in my feed Mm -hmm. this guy it just kept showing up in my feed and i just realized i i'd kind of had enough and so i decided to do what i think was best for my mental health and 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 instead of sending him some message and really what's the point Mm -hmm. i mean i think if you're still there now if you're still believing that stuff now uh, then, you know, I don't want to say you're a lost cause. I don't believe in necessarily writing off people, but I don't think there's anything wrong with setting up your own boundaries, healthy boundaries for yourself. A hundred percent. To preserve your own, what do you want to call it? Mental stability. I and I, th- I think an unfriend is a better route than having some sort of argument in an inbox. But it's just, I don't know, that whole thing you're talking about, like the causation and correlation. I could, I could look at stats about since the price of cauliflower has gone up, you know, People have been dying. You can literally connect stats to everything. But I feel like this happens every 10 years, though. 10 years ago, it was the RFID chips, right? We're all going to get the mark of the beast. We're all going to have these Mm. things in us that are our wallets and read our money. And even back then, I was like, yeah, it's it's your phone. It's in your hand. Mm. (laughs) It's, you know, Mm. but there's just, yeah, it's it's sad, though. I have I have lost friends, too, that not lost them as in I can't still talk to them, but I, I know I can't talk to them maybe you know what and, I mean? and, and maybe kind of your perspective on the friendship has changed a little bit there's been damage done there i just know we couldn't go out for a beer and and have a good time anymore we couldn't because these things would come up and they're so vocal about them right whereas i'm like you know i'm not going out try to argue everyone down about everything but i feel like they're 
mission, at least on social media, is to to have an engaged yeah. conversation every morning about something that is jarring. Yeah, Muddy Otter's Pottery. What a great handle on our live chat. It says, productive communication happens when the two parties are willing to listen to each other. Conspiracy theorists do not listen. They just yell back at you, and it's incredibly frustrating. Uh, Tara Lynn says, I honestly can't understand the fuss about this idea, the 15-minute cities. My home is a 15-minute walk to a pharmacy, to the doctor, to a pub, to a corner store, to the liquor store. It, it, it builds community. We go places. We see our neighbors. Why wouldn't I want this? Yeah, you nailed it. <laughs> like it just it just doesn't make sense. But but and it's just like, yeah, we've said what we need to say. You know, the, the digital age is changing things. <laughs> Those participating in, in bad behavior can 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 find themselves exposed. And you see this video. Have you seen this out of a parking lot in our home city of Edmonton just yesterday? It's going absolutely viral. Here, here's here's the, the background scenario. If you've ever gone to counseling, if you've ever participated in counseling for anything, uh, you know that sometimes you, you need to have that 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 period after where you collect your thoughts. Um, I've talked to a mental health counselor on a relatively regular basis lately, and we've gotten into some stuff that that really resonated with me in a difficult way and ultimately productive. But after the session, on the advice of the counselor, she said, take a few minutes in quiet and allow yourself to to stabilize again. Allow yourself to get back to a point where you can carry on with your day. There can be emotions involved. So that's the story. That's what was happening with this gal. You're about to see her from her first person shot. She had her camera rolling. She got out her phone when she realized the situation that was unfolding. She had just been uh, participating in a trauma therapy session, and she was collecting her thoughts while sitting in her car in the parking lot. There was another lady who decided that she needed that specific parking spot. And it was time for this woman to leave. And that's when this happened. Um, here you are. You, you're being selfish I've, and being a Karen. I'm sitting here after yeah, an appointment. Yeah, sitting being a Karen. N- no, ma'am. Badass I'm, on a Karen. Pardon me? Badass. Pardon me? I can see the badass. This is not... An appropriate way. Be kind. That's it. The world. You are the problem of the world. I am not the problem. I'm sitting in my car. Sitting in your car, taking a spot that you don't need anymore. Ma'am, I have been in my car for like not even five minutes. Exactly. Not even five minutes. And why do you need to be in a spot that you're done with? I'm clearly not done. You are clearly done. I, I'm. Are, you don't thanks. know what's going on in my life right now, and you don't know. And I have an appointment okay. in this building. I also have an appointment in this building. And you're done building. because you're not in the fucking building anymore. Ma'am, it is a parking spot that you are losing your mind over right now, and I would appreciate if you would just go and find another parking spot. That's, uh, that's as simple as it is. As simple as it is is that this is what happens in the world. People go and then they sit in their car and they're on their little phone because that is no the world. because you cannot because you use your phone that ass. no yeah lose some fucking weight child So the video goes on and, and then this gal actually gets out of her car to go get the license plate of the other lady who, who ironically, and with apologies to Karen's everywhere, I, I have some friends named Karen and I know they don't love how their name is trending. You see this Karen's diner that's about to open mm-hmm. in Edmonton, by the way. I can't get over the approach that this woman's taking. And, and I know you're going to say, well, quit trying to make sense of this because there's nothing to make sense of it. But she 
the perpetrator here, the villain in this scenario, attacking this other woman, calling her a Karen, saying that she cannot be kind, that she is selfish, and then the fat ass blast. I mean, to me, this is just another example, another reminder, and the gal behind the wheel says it. She says, you don't know what's going on in my life right now. This is one of the lessons I remember hearing from my parents. Parents can teach their kids how to drive. You know, put your seatbelt on. Make sure you always shoulder check. You know, don't exceed the speed limit. Never drink and drive. But what about the emotional factors of it? I remember my mom saying to me once, you never know what somebody else is dealing with. You never know what somebody else's day looks like. In this circumstance, someone that's just been participating in trauma therapy, that's taking a second to stabilize, that's taking a second to to, to get into a, a mental position to approach the rest of their day. And now this woman that came up to the window that blasted this complete stranger is, I mean, this video is seeing hundreds of thousands, if not millions of views. And I hope that it serves as a constant reminder to take a second to get over ourselves and to recognize that somebody else just very well might be having one of the worst days of their life. And we need to find that compassion and that understanding and that patience. And I'm not even close to mastering it myself. Not even close. But situations like this can serve as such a valuable reminder. Mm-hmm. Haas says, I deliberately take extra time to leave when I encounter that person. <laughs> I mean, yeah, if I'm, I mean, you know what I do if I'm her is I just turn my vehicle off. I get back out and I go back into a restaurant and have lunch. And I'll play devil's advocate here. I'm thinking that lady who was upset was probably having a really bad day, too. Maybe she was going for therapy. It doesn't excuse what she did, but like it looked like. She's got some trouble going on in her life, too, as well. People don't just act like I believe my wife hates when I say this, but I believe I believe everyone's inherently good. And I feel like when they have outbursts like that, there's there's a a direct correlation to something going on in their life. I don't think they wake up in the morning thinking I'm out to destroy. Do you really believe everybody's inherently good? No, I tell my wife this all the time. I believe the majority of people majority can can feel the moral compass inside of them. They know what's right and wrong and. They know what's good and bad, and they know. Mm. McPhee on here says, I, I have a huge uh, level of patience. I want to give grace to whatever pain that woman's experiencing that makes her behave that way. Nah. She says, nah. I don't know. <laughs> Justin says, I'll admit to behaving badly uh, before just because I was worked up. Lauren says, stress reveals character. Huh. Keep in mind, by the way, as well, anytime these days in 2023 that you're going to pull a stunt like that, Chances are it's going to wind up on video. Chances are it's going to wind up on the internet. And chances are you're going to be uh, in the spotlight for all the wrong reasons. Well, as I'm watching, I'm like, she knows she's on video. Like, why wouldn't you just gear down? Yeah. Like, <laughs> That's when you realize the camera is rolling. The, the minute that you see yourself on video, what you say is, I, I'm just, this is, I'm just kidding. Can you see the camera? You pretend you're, you say, I'm actually here to award you a $100 gift card for just being you. Turn it around. There's only Turn 85 left on it, but here it is. There's only 80, 84, 56 <laughs> left on it, but here it is. I saw a story out of uh, Florida yesterday that is just a huge gut punch, and we wanted to acknowledge it, not just because we are in the business of storytelling, 
but because it is relevant in the bigger conversation around guns, gun legislation, gun controls in the United States, and, of course, uh, the profession of journalism and what many journalists face with regards to their own personal safety, not just war correspondents halfway around the world, but oftentimes on North American soil as well. Dylan Lyons was a talented up-and-coming news reporter for Orlando's Spectrum 13 News. And yesterday afternoon, he was on the scene of a shooting, covering that story along with his camera operator and bystanders. A nine-year-old girl was shot on the scene. So was Dylan Lyons and his camera operator. Lyons was killed, killed while telling that story. It's been remarkable to see the outpouring of support for his colleagues at Spectrum News 13, and I cannot imagine the challenges of reporting that story like WESH reporter Luana Minos did just moments after the shooting. I apologize. This is really difficult uh, to cover. Um, it is very emotional here uh, at ORMC. I'm, I'm not even going to turn the camera um, because there are people here um, who knew that reporter who uh, his fiance uh, and I were just embracing. Um, but I, I will say this. It, it is nice to see all the media. We come together in solidarity in this moment. This is every reporter's absolutely worst nightmare we we go home at night afraid that something like this will occur and that that is what happened here um so again we are at orlando regional medical center where we have learned that one of our own a fellow reporter uh has died while while out covering a shooting um there are members of his family here, along with his fiancée, um, who, who are just incredibly distraught tonight. Um, there are other um, media people who are kind of corralled together we, and standing in solidarity tonight. Uh, as one of our own has just passed. So I'm going to send it back to you guys so I can uh, collect myself and, and get it together. Thank you. I'm going to send it back to you guys so I can collect myself and get it together. Truly the worst nightmare. Uh, Catherine Jacobson is the U.S. and Canada program coordinator for the Committee to Protect Journalists. And she issued this statement. Uh, We're appalled by the killing of a Spectrum 13 journalist in Orange County, Florida, and we stand in solidarity with the newsroom. It's deeply disturbing that a journalist was killed while covering the gun violence that has become a sickening reality of living in the United States. Reporters must be able to cover the news without having to fear for their lives as a storytelling outlet here in canada of course we send our deepest sympathies from the most sincere place uh, to the spectrum news 13 family in orlando and of course to the family uh, including the fiance bereaved of dylan lyons and of course we'll commit to continuing to look into these stories the root causes of things like gun violence we know obviously the united states an outlier on the global stage with regards to some of the statistics around gun ownership and gun violence but 
Also, we know that gun violence is not limited to the United States to state the very obvious. And that's a story that we'll continue to cover. You can send us your thoughts anytime to talk at RyanJesperson.com. How are these stories that we're telling resonating with you? We want to know what's an angle you'd love to hear in conversation on the show. Uh, We're going to get to an email from Kathy in just a moment. She took us up on our offer to send us an email. It's three pages, and it's as personal as it gets, and I've been reflecting on it ever since it arrived in our inbox back at the end of January, and I want to take the time. Kathy argues in her uh, subject line of the email that it's time to defund the police, but she talks about it from a personal perspective of, of mental health. Uh, involving a beloved family member. We're going to get to that in just a second. These conversations happen because sponsors like our team at California Closets believe in the importance of coming together and seeking to understand one another. My wife, Carrie, and I are proud customers of California Closets several years ago. We hired them to come in and transform our space. It was our family room area that needed some help aesthetically, organizationally, and otherwise. And our bedrooms, our closets were disorganized. We live in an old, old home, 110 years old, and the closets, quite frankly, needed some help. The work that they did gives us the confidence to recommend their talented design team to you. And let me say, it's not just custom closets and storage solutions. What they're doing with garages right now is really unbelievable. You know, oftentimes the garage can be such an afterthought, right? When it comes to your home, you leave your vehicles in there or or in some circumstances you can't because there's just not enough room. If you don't even know where your shovel is anymore, if your car has been parked outside through 15 consecutive snowstorms, now is the time to make a garage storage system for snowboards and garden hoses and off-season tires and, and, oh yeah, your car too. You can get started at californiaclosets.ca with a free design consultation. Also wanted to give you a chance to, you know, I don't know, maybe keep a few bucks in your pocket. Uh, right now, is it safe for me to say that everybody's paying for utilities? I mean, unless it's included in your rent, uh, chances are you're on the hook for electricity, natural gas, and of course, internet. If you live in the province of Alberta, it makes sense to take your business to Park Power, your friendly local utilities provider. You can check them out online and compare your rates on electricity, natural gas, and internet, including their utility bundles. It takes two seconds to make life simpler and get three utilities from one smooth operator. If you bundle all three services, You're actually going to save more than the website says. You've got the inside track as a real talker. The promo code REALTALK23, that's REALTALK23, is going to knock $150 off your first bill if you bundle all three services. $50 per service with the promo code REALTALK23 at parkpower.ca. You know, speaking of energy, our friends at Kubi Renewable Energy... Uh, They're Western Canada's busiest solar installer. You know, one in five solar power systems installed in BC, Alberta, and Saskatchewan are installed by Kubi. How amazing is that? This is a a remarkable success story. A company founded by an oil and gas electrician by the name of Jake Kubiski, who saw huge opportunity to go green, to kick off that movement to really make it happen for folks looking to go more sustainable. And that's why they've developed their full service contracting offerings for both residential and commercial solar power systems. 
You can get a free quote today at kubienergy.ca and make sure you ask them about that Canada Greener Homes Grant. $40,000, the maximum available loan, interest-free for up to 10 years. What? Interest-free? In the day and age of skyrocketing interest rates? Solar now, more affordable, more reliable than ever before when you take your business to Kubi Energy. And a big shout out to our friends at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. If you've got that hunger today, maybe you're feeling like it's time for a chicken strip basket. You know, the Dairy Queen chicken strips, well, they're better than all the rest. That's right. They've got a real feather in their cap, John. It's because it is, I can't help myself, all tenderloin chicken strips. I'm talking about the sauced and tossed honey barbecue glazed chicken strip basket. You can get your choice of dipping sauce on the side. It comes with crispy DQ fries. Swing by your local DQ today to enjoy premium honey barbecue chicken strips at a value you'll have to taste to believe. These are the Dairy Queens in Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road. When you pop by, you make sure you let them know you're there because you heard about them on Real Talk. So we get this email at the end of January from Kathy, uh, defund the police, reads the subject line. And I thought, okay, you've caught my interest. She says, my beautiful son, Jamie, not his real name, will be 26 this year and he's struggling. He's been struggling for more than 15 years to live a normal life that seems to come so easily to so many other people. He was such a sweet and happy little boy, so kind and generous. He literally seemed to be skipping through life without a care in the world. Life was so great until it wasn't. Our family life took a terrible turn for the worse in the early 2000s when my husband was in an accident suffering serious injuries that eventually led him to be an opioid crisis statistic. We lost our modestly successful business. Our marriage collapsed. We lost our property. And we were abruptly thrust into abject poverty and overwhelming debt. Says it was a traumatic and unstable time for all of us, but so much more for our two young kids. Jamie, the younger of the two, struggled to fit in at school after the family fell apart and being diagnosed with ADHD and on the autism spectrum sure didn't help. Anxiety, depression, self-harm, suicidal ideation settled in by grade nine and he was unable to finish high school. With a lot of hard work and in spite of all his setbacks and challenges, to my great pride, he managed to gain acceptance to college in the social work program at age 22. He received student loans, he moved to a shared apartment with a friend, and he began his college life. Unfortunately, COVID hit us full throttle just a few months into his program, but he pushed through. He earned his diploma. He got a dream job with decent pay and benefits and and moved with his girlfriend to a nice apartment of their own. I was so thrilled and so proud that life appeared to be finally going in his favor. Earlier in this email, I call Jamie my beautiful son. He's one of the kindest, gentlest, most thoughtful, most compassionate, empathetic souls I've ever met. And I'm not just saying that because I'm his mom. We've had so many deep conversations about social issues ranging from the impacts of residential schools, the opioid crisis, to pride, to the importance of land acknowledgements, autonomy for high school Gay Straight Alliance club members, and, and that, that defund the police movement. Just to name a few, from a young age, he's been so appreciative and understanding of my uphill battle as a single mom and the financial challenges we faced. He's never been in trouble with the law. He's been an inspiration and has taught me so much. I've told you all this background to give you a good picture before what I'm about to say. 
I thought that Jamie was doing so well and I never saw the crash coming. But last fall, he started making casual comments here and there that he was having some challenges coping with his job and having relationship issues with his girlfriend and his brother. And he said that isolating through the pandemic had really taken its toll. And he felt that, you know, he had been a constant source of strength and support for others, but it hadn't been reciprocated when he was left burnt out and empty. He admitted to self-medicating with cannabis too often in an effort to cope. We had talks about setting healthy relationship boundaries and, and reasonable expectations. When I checked in with him on occasion, he would mention that there were uh, some growing pains, but that things were improving. By the end of November, he'd taken a leave of absence from his job because of mental health challenges. He had to go through a walk-in clinic to get his employer's a doctor's note. And, and, and I believe that that referral to a psychiatrist he received, you know, it took too long. He had to wait for over a month even for a virtual check-in. He spiraled over Christmas and, and desperate for mental health supports, ended up in the ER on New Year's Day, expecting to be admitted to the psych ward. He waited 10 hours and eventually saw an intern psychiatrist, but by this time he had become so uncharacteristically agitated that she almost refused to see him. Can you imagine, says Kathy, showing up at Emerge in the middle of a mental health crisis and the, the trained professional doesn't know how to handle it? Thankfully, his girlfriend talked her into settling down. And after a brief consult, he was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder and, and, and set up on a 21-day mental health outpatient program at Alberta Hospital that started the following week. From there, things went from bad to worse. Later that week, he called me from a friend's to ask if I would take him to his first appointment. And, and I learned that he'd become overwhelmed by relationship issues and walked out on his girlfriend. We made plans for him to stay with me for a few days. I live in a small rural community. We both thought some quiet time in nature might do him some good. But I noticed right away he was acting a bit off. And a couple days later, he completely snapped. He was in a full-blown mental break from reality in what I consider to be serious paranoid delusions. The quiet, well-mannered, rationally thoughtful young man that I knew was agitated and belligerent, making irrational accusations, insistent he didn't feel safe with me, didn't feel safe in my home. He demanded to go back to his apartment in the city, convinced that the psychiatrist from Alberta Hospital was colluding with me and covertly surveilling him. He grilled me about noises that only he could hear, was convinced I was trying to make him crazy, we were both up all night long, him searching my house high and low for hidden cameras and microphones and me quietly sitting in a state of shock, scared of going to sleep for fear of what he might do. He refused to let me drive him home. His girlfriend wouldn't come and get him. So eventually he called 911 on himself. I have no adequate words to describe what it was like to watch my son unravel right before my eyes, only that it was simultaneously scary, sad and horrifying. Suddenly, this person I'd given birth to and raised was the complete opposite of the son that I knew. Two officers arrived. One spoke with him, the other with me, while we waited for EMTs. I was pretty emotional by the time they arrived an hour later, but I did my best to explain in great deal what was happening. And it was clear that this was a mental health crisis. My son was loaded into the ambulance, but I saw him get out a few minutes later. I was surprised and confused when the ambulance left. One of the officers told me Jamie was getting lippy with the paramedics and they refused to take him. The officer said we had two options, either leave him here with me, which he obviously didn't want to do or apprehend him, arrest him under the Mental Health Act, Form 10, and take him to the Royal Alex and wait for him until he was admitted. It was obvious to me he needed to stay in hospital for at least a few days with constant supervision, but the officer was skeptical that he'd get the help he needed. She said she's seen the situation time and time again. People in crisis apprehended by police, the hospital releases them, seldom admitted unless they've tried to harm themselves or someone else. 
Kathy says, it was at this point that I made a decision I later came to regret. I was physically, emotionally, and mentally exhausted, and I honestly didn't know what was the best thing to do for my son, who was in so much distress. I was scared if he stayed with me. You know, I'd become a villain in his mind, right? What, what if he walked out in the middle of a winter night with an hour's drive from the city? What if he stayed here and hurt himself? So I agreed to let the officers apprehend him. I wanted so badly to follow them to the hospital, but it seemed to cause so much more distress, and honestly, I was in no condition to drive. You know, we talk about seeking to understand other people. You know, this is why emails like this are so meaningful to us. Mm-hmm. This is someone's personal journey. Kathy says, I reluctantly agreed. And the next day, Jamie asked me to take him to and from Alberta Hospital so that he could participate in the mental health program he'd been referred to. He'd settled down a lot, but after spending some time, I had doubts that this program was really what he needed. For the first two days, he could only manage to stay for a couple hours before texting me, asking for a ride home. He was experiencing heightened paranoia, told me that he was overstimulated and was unable to determine what was real. I was in constant contact with different people, running the program every day for that first week, giving them updates, describing what was happening to my son, hoping for help. He desperately wanted to be there, was, but was becoming so frustrated because of his break with reality. He felt like he wasn't being heard. A psych nurse standing by as I was talking to a staff member one day, and I think he caught on. He heard me say that my son didn't know what was real. I finally felt heard there, and Jamie got the help he needed. So later that day allowed me to sit with him in a meeting with a psychiatrist who was on call that day and explain what was happening. She wanted Jamie to be stabilized before attending sessions. He needed a hospital stay. She wasn't able to admit or refer him, but guess what she suggested? Yeah, going back to the ER. Back through that same bad experience that had failed him twice already. Jamie talked to me a lot during that first week, and I found out how traumatic it was for him to be apprehended after calling 911 for help. He remembers being told that 911 wasn't a taxi service. The officer had to wait with him for several hours before he was handed over to hospital staff in the ER. He claims that officer baited him twice to walk out of the hospital. In his confusion, he got up to leave and was handcuffed and sat that way for hours He said he was told he had lost his privileges. He recalls the officer handing him over to hospital staff and saying, he's your problem now. At first, I thought this was part of his delusion, but it's also plausible. I mean, don't we hear one story after another about police mishandling mental health emergencies? Kathy says, I know that this is a really long email, and I seriously debated sending it, but I've been watching recent episodes of Real Talk, including your roundtable about the opioid crisis. And I realized that Jamie's experience is a perfect example of the failures of our current system. Police are trained for law enforcement, for protection. EMTs are trained to handle physical ailments. ERs are meant for urgent physical problems, but they're too brightly lit and loud and busy and overstimulating. It's not a calming experience for someone in mental health crisis. Access 24-7 is a great service. Staff are skilled and helpful, but serious cases still wind up in the ER, and we as a society have absolutely nothing in place to adequately assist with mental health emergencies. The current process can actually cause more trauma in many cases, especially for neurodivergent patients. And what about financial supports for people experiencing mental health crisis? The resources we have right now are useless. If a patient doesn't have the financial means to afford prescriptions, rent or mortgage payments, transportation, let alone food. Jamie's leave from work started at the end of November and should have triggered his employer to start an ROE, a record of employment, but that wasn't even issued until the middle of January. He wasn't stable enough to look into, never mind manage the process of applying for EI or sickness benefits. 
I managed to get the ball rolling, but we may not even have news until the end of February. And I'm scared that they're going to try to reject his claim since it came in so late. So we're drawing on my line of credit, my retirement savings to try to pay it off. He's my son. I'm his mom. And I'd crawl naked on my hands and knees over broken glass to make sure he has what he needs. But not everybody has that option. And this leads me back to how angry I am, says Kathy, with the defund the police movement. What immediately comes to mind, or how does a person's physical body react when they hear a word, hear or read the words defund the police for the first time? I fully understand and support the concept behind this movement, but those three little words they use to catch people's attention are so emotionally charged that they're doing more harm than good with the strife and division they cause. Kathy says mental health supports should not be politicized. Mental health crisis doesn't care if you're conservative, liberal, or NDP. When are we going to grow up and get past the immobilizing knee-jerk reactions and have mature dialogue leading toward meaningful solutions? How many more people have to go through experiences like or worse than Jamie's before this problem is addressed? Everybody knows that living through this pandemic was bad enough. What's it going to take for people to recognize and act on that secondary pandemic? What about our opioid crisis? What about our very real mental health crisis? There are problems with law enforcement and correctional institutions. Let's identify root problems. Dollars to donuts, root causes in society that make law enforcement issues boil down to either poverty or mental health-related issues, very likely a combo of both. Restructuring public funding could come from a variety of sectors. I don't think it's necessary to single out and make enemies of law enforcement in order to get help where it's needed. Kathy says, I'm a quality management professional. We constantly preach that preventative action is always better than corrective action. But maybe my grandma said it better. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. She'd be curious to know, says Kathy, what real talkers think of this or how this story has resonated with this community. She signs off all the best. That from Kathy. We wanted to take the time to read this to remind you who comprises this audience, the real people with real experiences and stories that are navigating everyday life in some circumstances that seem unimaginable. Yet we come to the table every day, either live streaming or downloading this podcast or on YouTube with the expectation that in the spirit of community, we will have these real conversations, ultimately endeavoring to find real solutions and a big part of that is people like kathy taking the time to share their stories thank you for taking the time to hear it and to ponder it and of course to continue this conversation with us the commitment we will make to you is that we will be here including again tomorrow morning continuing to host conversations that truly matter speaking of tomorrow i'm excited to reconnect with one of my closest friends, Sapria Devetti. He's been out of the spotlight for a while. She's going to let us know why. And I know you're going to send her a lot of love. Plus, our Real Talk Roundtable presented by Urban Timber will take on that Emergencies Act inquiry. So we know the politics behind it. We've got the findings, but now what? We'll talk to the experts.
Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, Executive Producer Josh Dunford, Technical Producer John Hicks, General Manager Katie Cook Chivers, Account Coordinator Lawrence Durlego, Human Resources Lena Shepard, Website Design Mike Johnston, Voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandy Morin, Ann Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a relay project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.